The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. This is Secret Church 21, Episode 7. So this last session is going to be a combination of drinking from the fire hose and seeing, hearing from different people about what rectifying the great imbalance looks like in action. So I want you to hear some specific examples of how people are playing their part in rectifying the great imbalance and obeying the great commission in ways that may encourage you to think, I could do like exactly that, or in ways the Spirit of God might lead you to think, well, here's, here's another way this could look in my life, or here's a, another way this could look in our church. And just for us to think very practically and then to go before God in prayer, coming out of hearing some of these practical things and just say, God, here we are. Use us. Spend us. So, so we want to bring in this third session all that to say everything we've looked at in the Word down to the practical. And I want to give one final charge to us based on all that we've seen in God's word and in the world. I wanna give us two spiritual reminders that will then lead us into these three practical steps. So if this is true, if the purpose of your life is to enjoy and exalt God's glory in all nations, if what we said at the end of session one is true, that you, like right where you're sitting right now, have a unique and significant part, like believe this, you have a unique and significant part to play in rectifying the great imbalance and obeying the great commission and achieving the ultimate purpose of God in the world. And if that's true, then what does that mean for your life tomorrow? And the next week and the next year, with every moment you have while you're still on this earth, with your life and your family and your job and your church, what does this mean practically? What's God calling you to? We're gonna look at three practical steps at that point, hear from others, pray accordingly, and then we'll close with four biblical guarantees to bank your life on as you give yourself to this purpose. So here we go. Let's do this. One final charge. And by this, I mean that if you were gonna take away one thing, like one truth from this night from for your life, this would be it. So here it is. To be a disciple of Jesus is not merely to make a decision one day, sign a card, pray a prayer. To be a disciple of Jesus is not merely to believe in Jesus and go to church. So no, get beyond nominal, casual, cultural, unbiblical Christianity. To be a disciple of Jesus is to let his ultimate purpose in the world dictate everything you think, desire, and do. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to fish for men. It means to make disciples of all the nations. This is the purpose for which Jesus came and lived and died. And this is the purpose that drives and dictates everything you and I think, desire, and do. Think about your life. It's what your life is about. The very essence of your life is what we're talking about tonight. Like right where you're sitting right now, the purpose of your life is bound up in the ultimate purpose of God, which means that for those of whom this is applicable, this purpose dictates everything you think, desire, and do in your singleness. Paul says it's good to be single like me. Why? For the sake of the kingdom, Jesus says, for the spread of the gospel in a way that leads to sons and daughters who will live for eternity because of your life, Isaiah 56. And we often talk about how the Bible describes marriage as an illustration of the gospel, but so is singleness in uniquely powerful ways. Singleness exists to 
illustrate our eternal hope in Jesus. Singleness exists to spread an eternal heritage among the nations. And the words of Rena Taylor, so she spent much of her life spreading the gospel in Africa. She said, being single has meant that I am free to take risks that I might, might not take were I a mother of a family dependent on me. Being single has given me freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought to me moments that I would not trade for anything else this side of eternity. To be a disciple of Jesus is to let his global purpose dictate everything you think, desire, and do in your singleness, in your dating. So if you are single and you desire to be married, don't set the bar for what you desire in a spouse simply at that person being a Christian. Don't unite your life with someone who's content with nominal, casual, cultural Christianity. Unite your life with a disciple of Jesus, with someone for whom the global purpose of Jesus is dictating everything they think, desire, and do. Otherwise, that person will keep you from doing all that God has created and called and commissioned you to you, you to do. Don't yoke your life with them, no matter what you feel about them. The purpose of dating is to find a spouse who will make disciples of the nations with you, because that's driving everything you think, desire, and do in your life and their life which means the global purpose of Jesus should drive everything you think, desire, and do in your marriage. So if you are married, Ephesians 5 makes clear, marriage exists to illustrate the gospel to the world. Like, do you see it? The purpose of God in the world drives how you love your wife, husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How you love your husbands, wives, husbands, not multiple husbands, as you, how you love your husband, as a wife, as the church loves Jesus. Like, don't disconnect marriage from the Great Commission. Marriage is for the Great Commission. Marriage exists for the spread of the gospel in the world. Think about Priscilla and Aquila making disciples together, risking their lives together for the spread of the gospel in the world. That's what marriage is for, not just for making babies, for making disciples, husbands, wives, make disciples of the nations together, starting in your home. So the purpose of God drives everything you think, desire, and do in your parenting. What is your goal, your desire, your prayer, your longing for which you're working day in and day out in your kids' lives? As parents, we tell our kids, get good grades, practice at sports, learn this instrument, spend these hours in front of a screen. We prioritize taking them all over the place for sports and lessons and gymnastics and everything else. We tell them they need an education, they need to be athletic, they need titles, they need to be successful, they need to go off to college and get a good degree and get a good job and make a good living. And we're teaching them to do all these things, immersing them in all these things, but along the way, we're not teaching them to know God. And to love God and to serve God and to spread the gospel. And we say, well, I'll just drop them off at the youth building or in the children's rooms at church for them to learn that. No, sure, the church can help, but this is your God-given responsibility. And it can't be accomplished if we're immersing our children in the things of this world. If we are dads who would rather teach our sons how to swing a bat or throw a ball than teach them how to study and spread God's word, we're missing the whole point. If we're moms who'd rather teach daughters how to dress and put on makeup and teach them how to have the character of Christ and share the gospel of Christ, we're totally missing the point. And the reality is, if we're not careful, one day our sons and daughters are gonna stand before God and all the things we've told them are most important, are gonna burn up in the fire and they're gonna be left with empty hands and it will be because of us. The goal of biblical parenting is not to help children get a great education, be a great athlete, go on great dates, have a great career, make great money. The goal of biblical parenting is to help your children love a great God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and accomplish a great commission among all the nations. God, help us. We need a radically different perspective of our lives, our kids, our families, of what matters now, what will matter forever.
And this is the purpose of the church, right? not to entertain people on Sundays and cater to our comforts, but to send people into the world to spend our lives making disciples of the nations. The global mission of God should dictate everything we think, desire, and do in our local churches, in your church, in your studies. If you're in college, like, what are you studying for? You might say, so this degree, so I can get this degree, so I can get this job, but keep going. Surely the ultimate purpose of your life is not a degree and a job. You were made for so much more than that. To get a degree, to get a job, to play a part in and through that job for the enjoyment and exaltation of God's glory among all the nations. See what's ultimate. And so this is why Radical is about to have our inaugural class and a gap year program this fall because we want to help high school graduates have hidden deep within their hearts God's purpose for their lives before they start making major life decisions because the global purpose of God should drive everything you do in your studies, in your work. Colossians 3 makes clear. Jesus is your boss. He calls you to work for his glory, for the accomplishment of his purposes. Surely the thousands upon thousands of hours you spend in work over the years are not intended to be disconnected from the purpose of God for your life and the purpose of God in the world. See your work in light of God's global purpose and your retirement in light of God's global purpose in the world. How do you think you should spend the last years of your life before you see your Savior's face? Like on the golf course or accomplishing a great commission? To be a disciple of Jesus means to let his global purpose dictate everything you think, desire, and do, and your plans, and your dreams for your life, for your kids, what you long for, what you dream about, God's glory being known among the nations and the way you use your time, knowing we're, we have a mist here. We're here one second, gone the next. So let's make the most of this time while we still have it and the way we use our money. The global purpose of God among all the nations should drive the way we use our money and the way you steward your gifts. Every gift of grace that God gives you for his glory and the way you steward all of God's grace for all of God's glory among all of the nations. What good things do you have in your life? It's all of God's grace and it's all intended to be used for his glory among all the nations. Like what would happen if every follower of Jesus believed this. If every follower of Jesus believed that his or her purpose aligned, was aligned with God's purpose, that the purpose of each of our lives was to let God's global purpose to spread his grace for his glory among all the nations drive us. What if that dictated every one of our lives, everything we think, desire, and do? It would totally change the landscape, not just of the great imbalance, but of the world. That's why I would say if we just get this, if we just get this as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, three billion people wouldn't be born and live and die without ever hearing the gospel. We would find ourselves obeying and accomplishing the great commissions. Let's do this. May it start with you and me. Tonight, in our lives, in our families, in our churches, knowing these two spiritual reminders. One, we are involved in a spiritual war and our enemy is formidable. Knowing this will not, so giving our lives to this global purpose will not be easy. It will always be hard. Why? Because we're involved in a spiritual war. God, give us the eyes of Elisha. 
and eventually his servant in 2 Kings chapter six to see the spiritual world around us, to see what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six, that there's a spiritual war raging around us, that our enemy is formidable. He is a serpent looking to deceive. He's a lion looking to devour. He's Satan, the adversary, the devil, the slanderer. He is the evil one. He is the tempter and he is the prince of this world and he is the accuser of our hearts and every heart. And he does not, we talked about this, he doesn't want the end to come. He doesn't want the gospel to go to all the nations. And he is actively working to divert and distract God's people. He is actively working to divert and distract you and me in so many different ways. And he's actively working to deceive and destroy all peoples. He wants to keep 3 billion people and 7,000 people groups in the dark. He's blinding them right now and he wants to keep them blind so they're unable to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And he's actively working to disparage and defame God's glory in every way he can. That's been the reality ever since the beginning. Satan wants to disparage and defame the glory of the one true God among the nations. And he has countless false religions and worldly temptations that he is using in his arsenal. Brothers and sisters, we're involved in a spiritual war and our enemy is formidable. That's one truth, but here's the second. The outcome of this spiritual war is inevitable and our ally is indomitable. Brothers and sisters, the outcome of this spiritual war is inevitable. And it's been inevitable from the beginning of creation, from the promise God made in Genesis chapter three to the picture of Jesus we see as the ultimate conqueror in Revelation chapter 12. No matter how things may look some days in this world, the outcome of this spiritual war is not in doubt. And our ally in this spiritual war is indomitable, unconquerable. The nations are like a drop in a bucket, accounted as dust on the scales in his hands. And Jesus is the creator of all, sovereign over all, with authority and power and dominion above all. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Jesus, the almighty, sovereign God of the universe, lives in us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in you. Christ is in me. So like, what are we doing sitting here? What are we doing coasting through weak, half-hearted, sleepy, Sunday-by-Sunday Christianity? We're in a war. And I hesitate to use military imagery because I don't want to be misunderstood, but this wartime imagery is all over Scripture. There's a spiritual battle taking place in the world right now. And to be clear, the weapons in this world are not swords or guns or bombs, but the gospel and prayer and sacrificial love. And the stakes in this war are much higher than any war on this earth. Because men, women, and children are going to either heaven or hell, to eternal joy or eternal torment. So God, give us a wartime mindset, not a peacetime mindset. In wartime, we ask questions like, what can I do to help the cause? What can I sacrifice to ensure the victory? How can I live with urgency? We're on the alert, wanting to use all the resources we have for the accomplishment of the mission. Challenge is today, we're living like peacetime for what's most comfortable. We're spending our lives and using our resources like there's not three billion people who need the gospel right now, today. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.